Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of the First and Orange Podcast brought to you by the Denver Post. This is sports writer Kyle Newman joined by my colleague Ryan O'Halloran and we've got a packed postseason show for you here today in terms of post-Broncos season as their season's over following a 7-10 mark, missing the playoffs for a sixth straight year and talking some postseason topics including of course the Broncos coach search after Vic Fangio was fired on January 9th. Talk about the candidate list so far, who they've requested, offensive-minded guys, defensive-minded guys, what questions candidates should be asking the Broncos, an ownership update following a Tuesday ruling from the local courts, what does that mean, we'll break it down, and then we'll close the show with some playoff picks. So again, First Orange Podcast, Kyle Newman, Ryan O'Halloran, and let's just start off with a, a general scope of things here, Ryan. George Payton, he's been busy. He said he's going to cast a wide net. A wide net he cast. 10 requests for interviews. Are you surprised at, at how many candidates Payton has requested to interview? Now, of course, this doesn't mean he'll actually interview all 10, but are you surprised at just the, the wide net he's cast here to get from the get-go? Um, yeah, maybe a little. Um, you know, I was talking to an executive the other day, and I said, hey, what's the ideal number that you sit down with? And he said six to eight. And maybe that's what maybe that'll end up being the number that the Broncos end up meeting with. Um, but what surprised me, uh, two things actually. One is this eight requests in one day. It's like everybody gets a slip. Everybody gets the everybody gets a request. And then the second part were some of the names that weren't on the list. Uh, chiefly Doug Peterson. He didn't need to be requested, but I thought it makes sense to talk to him right away because he is available. And Brian Dayball, the Buffalo offensive coordinator, who's done a great job with Josh Allen, he has not been requested uh, as far as we know. So um, then I'll, I'll add a third thing. And it's sort of it's sort of in line with Peterson, but you know, uh, Dan Quinn out of the 10 right is the only one with head coaching experience. And uh, I thought maybe they would uh, lean toward some guy, you know, a guy, another guy or two that's, you know, been in the, been in the arena so George Payton wouldn't have to spend time coaching the head coach. He can worry about the GM part. But uh, it's pretty clear now that unless it's not Dan Quinn, they're going to be going with a first-timer. So the list, in case you guys missed it, is Kansas City Offensive Coordinator Eric Bieniemy, Cincinnati Offensive Coordinator Brian Callahan, Philly Defensive Coordinator Jonathan Gannon, Green Bay Quarterbacks Coach and Passing Game Coordinator Luke Getze, Detroit defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn, Packers offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett, Patriots inside linebackers coach Gerard Mayo, Dallas OC Kellen Moore, Los Angeles Rams OC Kevin O'Connell, and Cowboys DC Dan Quinn. As you mentioned, Ryan Quinn, the only guy with head coaching experience amongst those 10 guys. Now the offensive candidates, you got Hackett, Getsy Moore, O'Connell, Callahan, Bienemy, defensive guys, Quinn, Glenn, Mayo, and Gannon. And the Broncos have gone with defensive guys the last two hiring cycles and Vic Fangio and Vance Joseph. Will George Payton break that mold? Should he break that mold? What are your what are your thoughts there, Ryan? And just kind of the the split here between the minds that we're seeing. Yeah, let's you know, I like to I like to even split between offense and defense because not only as a GM are you trying to interview them about what how they would approach the job, you're trying to get a feel for your personnel because one of the first questions they probably ask is, "Hey, why why do the Broncos go seven to ten? Why is this offense broken? Besides quarterback, is it a scheme issue? Same thing on defense." And 
Um, I'll start with the offensive guys before we talk about the defense. Um, You know, Nate Hackett has play calling experience with Jacksonville and Buffalo. Doesn't have that role right now in Green Bay. Uh, Kellen Moore, currently the play caller in Dallas. To me, that's a non-negotiable. If you're the head coach, um, you have to have some play calling experience because chances are you're going to be doing it right away. So, and I've seen the first time play caller doubling as the first time head coach. That is a lot. That is a lot on the plate. So I would, uh, I would, I would steer toward you know those guys that are calling plays even if they haven't been a head coach, but uh, I, I like Hackett. I covered him in Jacksonville. I think he'd be a, you know, a really jolt of energy. But Hey, let's face it. If that helps him get Aaron Rodgers, that's a bonus, but that's not why you make the hire because unless you wink, wink, nod, nod, think you have a deal in place, which I don't think they do, but um, Kellen Moore at 33, that would be Sean McVay 2.0. McVay was 30 when he was hired by the Rams. And then, uh, you know, Bay Enemy is 52, obviously has the CU ties, but he's had a lot of interviews. The one guy that I'm kind of intrigued by is Brian Callahan, the Cincinnati offensive coordinator. Does not have play calling experience, but is familiar with the Broncos organization, was here for six years, grew up in the game. His his dad is Bill Callahan, been an NFL coach forever, and then uh, the coach at Nebraska. And he's developed, he's developed, uh, you know, helped develop Joe Burrow. So one of the ancillary things I'm paying attention to here with these candidates is a new NFL rule that came into effect last year is if you're a coordinator that doesn't call the plays, you cannot be blocked from going to be a coordinator play caller for another team. So I think that I think this is a two pronged search for the Broncos right now. Shoot, let's say three prong head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. I think that could play into Gerard Mayo too, who has an inside linebackers title with the Patriots. So, um, if I had to rate, if I had to pick a, a guy on offense that I would prefer, it would be Hackett or Callahan. And then on defense, I mean Quinn is Quinn is the stand-up double. You know he is not a home run swing. He's familiar with George Payton from their time in Miami, but um, so I think he'd be more of a, a CEO type, even though he would probably call the defensive plays. So I mean. If they came out of this with Dan Quinn as the head coach and Brian Callahan as the offensive coordinator, you know, I think fans should be encouraged by that. Uh, but uh, we still have a long way to go with this as we as we speak on uh, Thursday morning. And of course, Dan Quinn getting requested for interviews by multiple other teams, so he's got quite a bit of interest. And then I want to circle back to Callahan. I think, in my opinion, too, he'd be a, a very good choice to come in and Give this offensive jolt, whoever the quarterback might be. Hackett, I also like his resume as well. Now, when it comes to Bienemy, he's a guy who's been on Broncos fans' radar for a while now in terms of, hey, he can be the next head coach here. He's got the Colorado ties, having played at CU. But is he a guy who's going to sit in that chair for the interview, potential interview, if it goes through, uh, and and ask as many questions to to Peyton as Peyton asks to him? Because, I mean, Eric Bieniemy's got a pretty cushy spot as it stands right now at the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, he's a non-play calling coordinator, which is why I didn't have him on my hot board of ten that was in uh, Monday's paper. And so he's had a ton of interviews. So I'm interested to see after the fact if they do end up talking to EB that hey, you know, what was the tone? How was the conversation? And I would say that for a lot of guys that they maybe aren't familiar with. But, you know, as we speak now, first up is Aaron Glenn, the Detroit Lions defensive coordinator. Hey, Lions are 31st ranked defense. 
they had no answers for the Broncos offense, but they did beat Arizona. They did beat Green Bay late in the year. You sort of dug into his background and wrote about him for coming up for Friday's paper. What were a couple of your takeaways about Aaron? Yeah, so he doesn't have the longest coaching resume. He's only been coaching in the NFL for eight seasons. This was his first as a coordinator with the Lions. You mentioned the the Lions defense. I mean, statistically not very impressive. Next to last and points allowed per game in the league. But he did coach a unit that featured five rookies towards the end of the season starting, had a lot of injuries, a lot of ups and downs, and just really not a lot of talent overall. So, And then you look back to his, his uh, five years coaching the, the secondary in New Orleans, and he, he did a good job there. Last year there, he was top five secondary before he jumped to Detroit along with Dan Campbell. So dark horse candidate in my mind, Ryan. Um, and honestly, I'm, I'm, I was a little surprised to see him on the list along with some of these other guys with more experience. And then, you know, the, the offensive guys just kind of in a, a different sphere in my mind. But interview going on today as we record this probably uh, in Motown. And I'll be interested to see the ramifications of it. Well, I'm sure the Denver media mafia is going to tweet. He made a strong impression. He's a rising star. He would he, he's on the right track. I mean, give me a break, but we, we can break down the coverage of this later. But, um, you know, Aaron Glenn has an advantage. He played 15 years in this league. He played for Bill Parcells. He coached under Sean Payton. That carries a lot of weight. And, you know, and the one word I heard about Aaron Glenn this week was juice. And that's definitely, you, know, you can, that's another word for energy. Uh, that's another word for an intensity. And maybe that's what this organization needs, whoever they hire. It just needs a little bit of a B12 shot. And, you know, the one thing about um, Aaron Glenn, and, and also I go back to what George Payton and Joe Ellis said on Sunday, is leadership. If they said if they said it one time, they said it 11 times. And, and to me, that was basically saying Vic Fangio was a terrific coach, a terrific guy, but they're looking for a little bit more out of that head coach's office. And to me, that comes down to how that's going to be a key part of this interview process for the Broncos. How are you going to handle situations A, B, and C in a time of crisis? Uh, Mark Kisla asked Peyton on Sunday, did you have to get more involved with this football team during the season than, than you thought you would? Uh, you know, he sort of sidestepped that question. I think he had to. Uh, and, It'd be fascinating to know whether he pushed Vic to make some of those changes to get more involved with the offense after they lost four in a row. And uh, it's just not wait for things to snowball. Ultimately, that was the the end of Vic's tenure was these losing streaks. He had five losing streaks in at least three games. He had two four-game losing streaks this year. So uh, I think that will be a, a big part of the conversation with these candidates is – how are you gonna? How are you gonna t- get involved with your staff? How are you gonna make changes uh, schematically in season? Because that's one thing that maybe the Broncos fell short of this year, particularly on offense. So Glenn, like you mentioned, 15-year pro, he's a three-time Pro Bowler. Sean Payton has been on record saying that he believes that leadership he showed as a pro on the field is translated to, into his coaching days. So we'll see how he impresses Payton and Co. Here today, that's Thursday, start of the Broncos interview slate. They got 10 requested. We just ran down the candidates. But, hey, the candidates are going to have just as many questions for the Broncos, I'm sure, especially considering the question marks at quarterback and ownership. So, Joe Ellis indicated that the ownership situation, they're going to put a timetable on it after they settle on a coach. But, of course, the quarterback situation looming as well. Who's going to play? Um George Payton did not rule out Drew Locke 
factoring into the Broncos' plans next year. But as you and I have discussed, Ryan, on previous First Orange podcasts, that's probably as a backup and maybe a similar role to, to what he played this year. What questions would you ask the Broncos, Ryan, if you were a candidate sitting there getting interviewed for this job? Well, it's, uh, yeah, the big one is, and, and I talked to an executive about this, and I said, how open would you be if you're George Payton about quarterback playing A, B, and C? He goes, I would not be open. I would not be very open at all because these guys gossip like nobody's business, which makes them no different than you or I. Uh, so if I'm, if let's say I'm Nate Hackett tomorrow in Green Bay and I'm talking to the Broncos, um, I want to know about ownership. I want to know about quarterback and I want to know uh, if they would embrace my depth chart of defensive assistance, because these guys come in with, you know, first choice, second choice, if they're confident of getting and, you know, uh, quarterback to me is the big thing. You know, you, you hear people talk, well, if the Broncos had a quarterback, they'd be 10 and seven instead of seven and 10. That might be the case. So uh, that would be the big one. Uh, Real quick on Hackett, Ryan. Because yeah. I mean, you touched on it earlier, the the Aaron Rodgers factor there. I mean, how much is that going to be part of the conversation, do you think, when he sits down to interview? Because like you said, you can't hire a coach based on a fact that, you know, a quarterback who he, he can't control to go to the Bronx. I mean, where, where is that line there? Where's the winking, you know, or where is it you just put it out there? Well, one thing, if, if I'm if I'm the Broncos, what I ask Hackett and what I ask Luke Getzey as well, the quarterback coach at Green Bay, of course. is I say, hey, um, how have you helped Rodgers? How have you coached him? And then the flip side, how have you developed Jordan Love, even though he hasn't been playing? Because there's, there's, a, there's a very good chance that if they don't get one of these veterans with the Broncos, they're going to draft one in the first or second round. What would be, what would be your plan to develop a quarterback? And that could be that could also be uh, germane to the to the to the job, even if they do get Rodgers or Wilson. Particularly Rodgers, they have to start getting somebody ready because he is not young. He, this would be a th- two to three year uh, relationship here in Denver, I think, three at the most. So, I think a lot of that conversation is is quarterback. The other thing for these coordinators, how do you delegate? If you're calling the plays as the head coach, who's going to run your red zone meeting? Who's going to run your first and second down uh, installs? That kind of stuff. And, and and make sure you don't have so much on your plate. And then finally, and this, this came to my head, into my head, special teams. Who's going to be your special teams coordinator? What do you like about it? Because this team needs to get better. They've struggled for several years. And so there's a lot, there's a reason why these interviews last four or five hours. There's a lot of cooks in the kitchen asking questions and there's a lot of things to talk about, but you know, the Broncos are are one of only a bunch of teams that have openings. Uh, I'm not going to include Las Vegas right now because they're still playing, but Jacksonville, Miami, the Giants, Minnesota, Chicago. I think that's everybody. Vikings. 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 So I was at six, seven. Well, se- well, six, seven, including the Raiders, but you're right. Okay, Raiders so, with an asterisk there. So, yeah. so let's go with six. I mean, I, I put the Giants at the bottom because well, let's, I'll back up one step. Is the Vikings, the Bears, and the Giants are also looking for a new general manager. It, I'm trying. It's not really clear yet what they're going to hire first. So that gives the Broncos, I think, a little bit of an advantage. Hey, they can have a coach in place while the other teams are still hiring a GM. So take advantage of that it's probably why they put so many permission slips in right away on on monday and tuesday but 
I'd put the Giants job last. They got no quarterback. They don't have a lot of cap space. Um, I think Minnesota has cap problems, plus they're stuck with Kirk Cousins this year for $45 million on the cap. Um, the Jaguars, Trent Baalke is the GM. He's, you know, he's got his own issues. I'd still be surprised if he makes it to a coaching hire. So then they got to hire a GM after they hire the head coach. So Chicago's attractive to me. They got cap space. They got Justin Fields. They do not, they do not have a first round pick. And, you know, the, the executive I talked to earlier, we put the Broncos at the top because he respects George Payton as the GM. They have a, a really good amount of cap space and they feel they're a quarterback away. Got some pieces on defense and offense. So, I mean, if, you know, what do you, which one do you think is the best job out of the current openings? I would put the Broncos and the Bears kind of tied right at the top. I mean, like you said, the Bears have Justin Fields. I mean, you got the quarterback. That's like the most important part, right? And it's a it's a you know traditional organization with with past success that they're trying to bring back. Now, same thing here with the Broncos, who besides the Jets, they have the longest playoff less streak in the NFL right now. So isn't that amazing? That is oh, nuts, man. right? <laughs> I mean, not good news for the Broncos, but I put them at tied at the top, um, partly because of disarray of the other organizations. Giants, I mean that that team is going nowhere fast, and Jacksonville, I'm I'm just as low on, maybe a little higher. With all the disarray there, I just I don't see that being an attractive opening. Now, if the Raiders decide to move on from rich and, and hire somebody else. I think that's a very attractive opening, but I don't see that happening. So I got the Broncos and the bears up there, but the Broncos, I mean, they got the, they are, they are telling the truth in Dove Valley when they say they got a lot of the foundation in place, but they are missing the key part of the foundation. And that's a huge question mark going into uh, next season. That's something, you know, I'm going to be asking if I'm a candidate, any yeah. of these 10 guys. So, yeah. yeah so, and, and, you know, to me, there's always one big surprise amongst the openings. Uh, I guess Miami's a surprise, but they didn't make the playoffs. And, and yeah, and with Miami, I think that's a decently attractive opening too. I mean, two, you got Tua. Uh, I was surprised they let go of Brian Flores, but you got the quarterback there. So if you got the quarterback, that bumps it up a little bit. And yeah. Miami had an okay season. I know they didn't make the playoffs. They were expecting to, but... They, there is potential there. So, yeah, and, and they have the most cap space in the NFL right now. So that's a, that's a plus no state income tax. That's a plus. That's what they have to take advantage of the, like, like the Jaguars. Well, Houston right now, as of 10, 22 AM on Thursday, still has a coach, same thing in Seattle. So there could be one or two other dominoes. I got to think that Bisacci in Las Vegas getting into the playoffs yeah. going with the continuity route. I would probably hang on to that structure, just give it another year. So, but, uh, you know, sort of interesting. It always, you know, what, what, what I found during these coaching searches is once the first team makes a hire, then the dominoes start falling really quick. I mean, it's sort of the opposite of every other pro sport where everybody is so methodical. But here you're just in a race because you got to put together such a big staff. And this is the First Orange Podcast brought to you by the Denver Post, Kyle Newman alongside Ryan O'Halloran. So a couple topics to close the show, ownership update, and then we'll pick some first round playoff picks. So Tuesday ruling in the court, shot down the first rider refusal for the Kaiser Estate. Ryan, break us down in layman's terms. What does this mean for going forward? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll put two parts here. Just a little background on the writer first refusal. Edgar Kaiser, who died in 2012, put together a you know, sort of a corporation in yeah. 2005. Say, hey, uh, this should be transferable. Uh, the Broncos contended once the two people who agreed to it 30 plus years ago have to see have died, it should be null and void. The judge agreed with them. The reason why this was important is this removes a, this removes a roadblock. And the Broncos were still going to be put up for sale. But if, if, if the Roford team had won, they would have been able to go to p- potential owner number eight and say, hey, we have a right of first refusal, but we can go away for a little bit of money. So, you know, if I'm, and if I'm a potential owner, do I really need to pay them two and a half to three million or whatever just to go away? That's out of the way. Uh, Joe Ellis said on Tuesday in a statement that he'll make uh, an announcement on the tr- you know transition plan, which basically means sale, um, after a head coach is hired. So, um, what's interesting is let's say let's say they get through the next two weeks and Nate Hackett's their guy, Green Bay, and the Packers make the Super Bowl. Well, Super Bowl is a month from today. So, are you going to wait all that time to make a make an announcement on ownership? I wouldn't, but. Maybe that's what they're going to do. But, you know, on the other hand, I don't think it's a big deal because I think they've been vetting people for several years financially who would be interested. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping it's a quick process because of that. But, uh, I mean, this team, I think $4 billion is a low low mark. Uh, I'm throwing it out there in my story just because it's sort of a nice round number. But I think it could be – it could go higher than that, which would set a record for a U.S. pro sports team. You think it could hit five billion? Uh, you know, it depends on how many bidders are interested, in how, many, how much cash they have, and you know, I'm putting together a story that's going to be online later Thursday and in Friday's paper, basically a Q and A refresher on ownership, and you know, one person has to own thirty percent of the team, and so they got to have a lot of money. Ideally, a person would buy a, a much larger chunk, so you can eliminate a lot of minority owners who have a. Uh, you know, 5%, 6%, 10%, that kind of thing. So uh, if you have somebody that has the financial wherewithal to buy 60% of it, then he could, then he or she can farm out, you know, 5% chunks to just a handful of people. And those people probably wouldn't have not, probably would be non-voting shares, but uh, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting. Well, and one other quick thing I wanted to bring up, and we've talked about this, Ryan. So the stadium's 20 years old now. Is the desire for a new stadium and in that basically a new entertainment district surrounding the stadium encompassing it, is that going to be a want of this new owner, whoever it is? Yeah, and two things on that. Joel told me in July that his preference is to build a new stadium if that's if that's their if that's their desire to build it downtown. Where downtown? I have no idea. Well, within the um, entertainment district, where? Yeah, because you got to yeah, have some parking, so, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, let's say the owner also wants this. Also wants this to make a real estate play. Okay. Is it south? Is it the airport? Is it you know? It probably would be north, but but where he can build like a Patriot Place, like they have in Foxborough, with hotels residents shopping restaurants etc so that's that's going to be a key question to ask uh, the other the other flip of it is do they do something like they do they put in 250 million dollars to renovate mile high which 
the old lady's showing her age. Yeah. Let's put it that way. And okay, instead of instead of paying instead of using all that money to build a new stadium, renovate the current stadium, and then develop around it. Uh, There's not that much me, space to develop around it. I, I just don't think it's an appealing part of town behind this around the stadium. It's the interstate and a roller coaster. So, uh, but. So you know that's that's a that's a part of it. And the other thing, and, and one thing to ask Joe, I want to ask Joe Ellis, is is it, is this going to be a highest bidder, or is it going to be also about the fit? I mean, is it you know that hey you know obviously the team is staying here, but the, the person that they feel comfortable with carrying on the Bronco tradition, or are you just going to say everybody put your bids in? We're going to pick the highest bidder. I would, I would, uh, I would keep my options open on that. This is the first orange podcast. That's Ryan O'Halloran. This is Kyle Newman. Of course, we'll continue to cover the ownership situation and all the off season denverpost.com slash Bronco. So let's close the show here with some playoff picks. Of course, the Packers and Titans got first round by, so they'll be sitting on their couches watching this weekend's action, but we got games on Saturday and Sunday, Vegas at Cincy, New England at Buffalo, Philly at Tampa, San Fran at Dallas, Pittsburgh at KC, and Arizona at the Rams. I will start off with my picks here. I am going to go the Raiders with an upset on the road at Cincinnati, breaking the Bengals fans' hearts. I got Buffalo squeaking one out at home against a pretty good Patriots team, but Mac Jones just not quite good enough to outduel Josh Allen. I got Tampa Bay, the defending champions, Knocking out the Eagles at home. I got Dallas rolling at home against the 49ers who squeaked in the back door to the playoffs. I got Kansas City also rolling at home against Pittsburgh who also squeaked into the playoffs. And I tell you what, this is a really intriguing matchup to me. The Cardinals at the Rams because the Cardinals started so hot and faded down the stretch. I'm going to go with the Rams in this one at home. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of going a little chalky as well. Uh, Saturday, I'll, I'm going to go with Cincinnati over Las Vegas. Las Vegas playing on a shorter week. They played late Sunday night, played overtime. Now they're making a cross-country trip on a set for a Saturday game. Uh, Saturday night, I think Buffalo is going to handle New England. Uh, then on Sunday, uh, Tampa Bay over Philly. Yes, I like San Francisco to upset Dallas, which Ooh. would impact the Broncos search because that would make Quinnen more available, you know, to bring him, you know, hire him, right. much less talk to him. And then Sunday night at Kansas City, uh, we'll roll past Pittsburgh. Monday night, uh, I'm still trying to figure out how the Rams lost to the Niners on Sunday. I mean, they had they, they were in charge of that game, but I do think L.A. is going to beat Arizona. So uh, that, that would set the stage for some pretty good divisional round matchups. This has been the first Norwich podcast brought to you by Denver Post. DenverPost.com slash Broncos for continued coverage going forward. This is Kyle Newman alongside Ryan O'Halloran. Appreciate listening in to today's show. Come back next week for more analysis. Until next time, folks, take it easy.